Hello, I'm Doug Hadaway. You're listening to Achieve Great Things, where we talk about the power of strategy, science, and storytelling to help you achieve ambitious goals for people on the planet. A well-designed and produced event not only leaves participants feeling inspired, it positions the sponsor to achieve their strategic goals. Heather Mason, my guest on this episode of Achieve Great Things, founded Caspian Agency in 2005 with the goal of helping purpose-driven organizations create more purposeful events. Since then, Caspian's proprietary 10 Essentials methodology for event planning and production has shaped the Skoll World Forum and other major events and inspired many others to introduce strategic focus into their event planning. I talked with Heather about purposeful event design and learned how sponsors and participants are better served by events shaped with science and strategy in mind. So the agency takes a scientific and strategic approach to creating events for interesting and ambitious organizations, to quote the website. Tell us about the firm and the kind of organizations you work for. Sure. So we were started in 2005. I founded it, and I founded on two principles. One, that this would be a strategic firm first, first and foremost, and that it's my belief that strategy and logistics are inextricably entwined like a braid. They cannot be separated. Um, And so I wanted there to be a methodology and a discipline. The second part of why I wanted to found this and the second foundation is I wanted to work with people changing the world and doing amazing things. And I always like to say we're social change adjacent because we want to help the people do the work they're doing um, and enable them to do it better. And so those were the two principles and the kind of organizations we have been blessed to work with, I have to say, uh, very blessed. Um, Skoll Foundation, Rockefeller Foundation. We've done two events, three events at the United Nations, Impact 2030, um, Merit360, and um, Q, Q Foundation, if I didn't mention them, Code for America. Anyway, just really interesting social entrepreneur-focused uh, organizations. A lot of great organizations. And I'm remembering now about when we first met. We were actually at an event mm-hmm. that your team had done mm-hmm. all the work for. And we compared mm-hmm. notes on our work and strategy and science, obviously. We had a lot a lot to talk about. And I knew mm-hmm. listeners of this podcast would enjoy hearing your stories and learning about the science of great events. And we met at that gathering. It was philanthropists in Powder Mountain, Utah. And mm-hmm. we were sitting next to each other at dinner, which was served outside at the top of this mountain as the sun was setting. An amazing mm-hmm. setting to have... Um, important conversations about philanthropy. Uh, You told Mm -hmm. me your story. You didn't grow up attending philanthropic retreats, I don't believe. Um, (laughs) Where did did you start out? How did you come to be creating amazing events like that? Sure. I mean, I want to pinch myself every day that I get to do what I do. Um, So I grew up in Idaho Falls, Idaho. Um, For any of your listeners that have read the book Educated, uh, that location is about two hours from where I grew up, maybe less, maybe an hour and a half. And, you know, we didn't grow up with that much. We had wood heating. You know, we didn't have a shower in our house. I was very excited to get one of those when I went to college. And I was blessed enough to get a full ride, or I don't know if that would have worked out. But I went to Utah State. So, again, two places you might not think of, how did I end up here? Um, but I wanted to go in the movie industry. And so um, I started working for the Utah Film Commission. That led to the Sundance Film Festival way back in 1993. And then that took me out to L.A., and I, you know, started to do things in development, film, et cetera. Um, and that didn't quite work out the way I wanted it to. So I went to, into dot-com marketing 
and then that took me up to the Bay Area. Uh, dot com crashed, and a friend of mine said, "You know, uh, production in events is very similar to production in film." And I always like to say, if film and events or film and marketing had a baby, it would be events, because you get the business side of marketing and you get the production side of film, and you put those together, and I think you can create great events. So. Worked at Charles Schwab for three years and then said, I want to quit. Crazy. And that's how I started doing this. Hmm. Um, so great events. Tell us a story about a truly great event. You have probably seen more than most people, <laughs> more events. <laughs> of all the events you've produced and attended, what's one that really stands out and what, what makes it great in your mind? Well, I mean, the Skull World Forum always stands out in my mind. I think... I will never be bored of that event until I'm dead. I love it. But because a lot of your listeners might have gone to that, I'm going to take a different tack for a minute. And I'm going to talk about an event, uh, one that I attended, and then one that I created for teenage girls. So the one I attended is Pop-Up Magazine. I don't know if you're familiar with that event. No, I'm not. You have you have to go. I feel like I'm going to do a commercial for them right now. Uh, go <laughs> so, Pop-Up Magazine, given now, you know, my background of film and film festivals and development, I love story and I love story arc. And I also love entertaining people while they're learning. I feel like you have a responsibility when you do an event. You can't be boring. You can't be what a book could have been uh, just said aloud on stage. You have, you have a responsibility to be interesting and exciting and innovative. Pop-Up Magazine to me has done that. I love TED. And I think this is the next wave of looking at an event by format. And what they do is it's very much like probably the old variety shows back in the day. Hmm. They have a band on stage. They have somebody come out who's just speaking at a little um, music stand. They do have a script, so they read straight from it because it's journalists. And they make a magazine come alive. And then the center of the stage changes all the time with actors or people responding to the written uh, word that are actors that are part of the story. They also use a screen with animations. They put, uh, if it's a story about music, they put beats popping up. They also have the actual people speaking the story. Let's say they interviewed Joan Jett. Joan Jett's voice you hear and you see the words and you see the journalist say, so I asked Joan Jett, what would you say? Da, 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 da. And then the band is playing underneath that. It is fantastic. Hmm. I just can't. When I first saw it, I was at the edge of my seat for two hours. And it's different every time. And you can only see it if you go to the theater. <laughs> I was going to ask, is there a website where people could check it out at all? Well, they're traveling all over now. So they're in D.C., I think, San Francisco, L.A., New York. Like you can find out where it is near you. It's like a traveling circus in that regard. Um, they're not paying me, by the way, for this little uh, bonus advertisement, but I've just become a huge fan of that to me. If you're just doing a show, like a plenary, it should feel multi-sensory yep. and, um, and not every event, but the, the, I think they've mastered the craft of the exciting plenary. Oh, when I didn't even say it, on the day I went, there was a guy talking about a chocolate cookie and how this chocolate cookie was saving the world. And when you walked in, they gave you a little bag and they said, don't open the bag until the third speech. And he said, open the bag. And inside was a chocolate cookie he'd been talking about for 40 minutes. Oh, I mean, it was <laughs> catharsis. I loved it. <laughs> so it's multi-sensory you're describing this event. Mm -hmm. And totally. you said magazine yeah. pop-up. So they're taking, it's like content you'd see in a magazine, journalistic yes. articles and just bringing it to life. Yes. 
all these multi Absolutely. That's yeah, really it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you said so, you created an event as well. I did. So I created a nonprofit based on my life story, which I won't bother with. <laughs> I won't bore you with. Um, there is a little bit of on the website, surefiregirls.com. And it's a 501c3. And I had five people uh, basically intersect my life when I was a little kid, which also has gotten me to where I am today. And um, just randomly, you know, taught me how to speak, taught me how to walk, have presence, debate coach, uh, teacher who said I was a leader and taught me how to be a leader. I would not have the life I have without those five people. And I kept thinking, you know, we're allowing serendipity to take control of our kids' life, lives and thinking that maybe they'll meet mentors, maybe they'll have a great coach, maybe they'll have a great teacher. We can, we can have a hand in that. Mm. And I looked at the, how many organizations there were in any major metropolitan area and that were devoted to girls. And in any major metropolitan area, there's about 70 to 80 girls organizations. And so I thought, well, what if we got them all together under one tent for one day? And what if I did it like I would have wanted to do it as a kid? And I thought, oh, wait, I'm a Gen Xer. I better find them. So I got um, 20 ambassador girls from all sorts of different high schools. I've done this in LA and in Utah and said, what would you do if this was your day, if I was creating a day for you? And so um, we let them pick the topics. We match organizations to the topics. I came up with the titles, like Red Carpet Ready, Strong as the New Skinny, you know, Geek is Chic, and Stand Your Ground. And then um, I added all the stuff I would have wanted. And I, I pressure tested it through them, focus groups it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have a photo booth. And then we have all these booths around for other organizations. And you get a badge and you get to put stickers on it. And there's inflatable furniture. And, and then anytime there's an adult on stage, they have to be interviewed or introduced by a girl. Um, and it's just a fun day. It's like a thousand Christmases rolled into one. Um, and there's just tons of surprise and delight that I like to build in it. And I get to do it because nobody can tell me not to because I am producing it. And I think so often my clients will stop me from putting in surprise and delight elements. Mm-hmm. And yet those are the moments that make our lives awesome. And so that's why it's one of my favorite events. <laughs> I get to play. <laughs> and surprising people is one technique. I'm going to segue into mm-hmm. the science here. Surprising yeah. people is one technique of creating a, a memorable, meaningful experience. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then I would say the science, really comes into um, when we start our first 10 essentials process. I won't talk about all 10, don't worry. Um, But the first one is the success metrics. And so the success metrics is what is grounded. Every other step is grounded in this. So really, it's the only one that's the most important. We spend the most time on it. And you go through goals, uh, tactics, outcomes, and measurements. So that's where you get your surprise and delight is in the tactics but they have to serve the overall goal Mm -hmm. and they have to produce an outcome that is the vision everyone sees and it has to be measurable. So for me, actually at Surefire, uh, one of the goals is to have an atmosphere of delight, fun, enjoyment, and a day where there is no self-consciousness and girls are getting along. You know, that's my goal. So in a sense, my tactics have to be surprise and delight. 
I have built that into it. My outcome is girls smiling, giggling, walking into the bathroom and seeing vinyls that say, you've got a good hair, you know, you've got good hair, girl. And, um, and enjoying themselves. And my measurement is, you know, I have, of course, net promoter score, but, um, you know, how did you, how did this day make you feel? Because the, the feeling is actually something important to me besides the learning. And we measure that too, but that's the next goal. Um, but one of our, our strategies is how this day makes them feel because then I know they'll come back. Mm-hmm. And getting to that purpose, cause you went into strategy and having strategic focus and thinking about the purpose behind events. So let's talk mm-hmm. about that. Why are events important to purpose-driven organizations? How do conferences or convenings or whatever people call them uh, help Mm -hmm. us achieve these larger goals? Yeah, and I think one of the main things, and events aren't good at everything. I always say that, you know, for some things, a hammer is great, for other things, a screwdriver is awesome. Um, If you need a hammer though, events are great. And to me, the purpose of them is to create meaningful connections, to, that you couldn't otherwise do, and that's always the pressure test, through an email, through a brochure, through a video campaign, through social media. If there's nothing else that is fungible with actually a real in-person feeling, we know that's different and you can look at the neuroscience, then that is a great opportunity for an event. The second thing is um, learning. We learn differently when we're hearing information from a person, we also learn differently from our peers and from a very curated, interesting mix of people that might give us new ideas or short circuit us having to go through learning long-term lessons because they're giving us best practices. So um, learning from your peer group is also just as good as learning from the keynote. And then I would say the other biggest part of it is the serendipity and the synchronicity that an event can create that nothing else can. When you get a certain group of people at a certain location for a certain time frame, things will happen that will never happen before that happens or after. That is a unique opportunity and moment for any one of these things, any one of these outcomes to happen. Feelings, learnings, peer groups, etc. Mm-hmm. Or money making for, for fundraising, I should say that as well. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of, a lot that happens when you get people together in person that is simply not happening via screens. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. And we talk with our clients about that a lot in this day and age when we're all bombarded literally by hundreds of messages via various screens mm-hmm. surrounding mm-hmm. us all day long. What really breaks right. is a human being showing up. Yes. That's um, exactly. So getting, uh, I remember when we met at that dinner in Powder Mountain, Utah with philanthropists talking about the future of philanthropy and having a really important discussion about it. They could have been in a thousand other places that day. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but people came from across the country, many other countries as well, to attend that conference that weekend out in the mountains. Mm-hmm. It was not even easy to get to, <laughs> right? No, it was not. <laughs> what is the attraction of an event like that that's really drawing people in and bringing people together? What is it that mm-hmm. gets people to come together, do you think? Mm-hmm. Well, and all of that was very purposeful, just so you know, because we went through success metrics in talking about Okay, what's your goal? First and foremost, what are your goals with this event? Well, we want to bring together the leading philanthropists. Okay, great goal. Tactic. How are you going to bring them together? Do you have a list? Do you know them? You know, do you know what they like? Yes, yes, yes. So one is just how are you going to get that audience? 
And a lot of the tactics are what kind of content would they be interested in? Also, what other people are they interested in? Mm -hmm. And then thirdly is what kind of a venue would these people be interested in and get the most value out of the content and the other people? And that quickly came down to a retreat setting and a setting that a retreat setting that is at the value of what they would expect. So we don't want to take them to a retreat at an airport hotel. You know, that is not where their station was. That's not going to draw them in. Um, and yet we didn't want to go too far from the airport. We wanted to be about an hour from any given airport. And then we looked, of course, in, um, you know, to the type of events that they are drawn to going, this particular audience, are they used to going an hour from the airport if the location um, is valuable enough, if the content is framed to be valuable enough from a, a source that seems like they could speak to it, and are the people in the room going to be at their level that would be interesting and they learn something. And so, you know, yes, yes, yes. We looked at other ones. Okay, other people have gotten these folks to go an hour from the airport. And if we build up um, what this thing looks like, they will actually travel that far. Will they travel farther? Probably not. You know, not for what we're offering. If we were going to get them to travel farther, you know, everybody come to the Canary Islands, we're going to have to up our value proposition. <laughs> and then we're, then we're going to compare it against when did they get those people to go there? Okay, and then we have to build in the factors that would do that. Um, but I really think audience mix, I, and then of course how you talk about the content is critical because, and this is why I like to talk about Pop-Up Magazine, I think format as brand is starting to rule the space. So format as brand and audience as draw. And that's what I usually focus on with my clients. And format there you're talking about, what's the experience you're providing to people, right? I'm going to learn, I'm going to have fun, I'm going to be surprised, I'm going to meet great people. Exactly. And that you're not going to be spoken to by keynotes for hours, at least with the type of events we do, the type of events, yeah. you know, you're, you're talking about, um, this is not a sales meeting, you know, and we don't need some sort of super famous people to pop in and, and, and get us there because the ticket value is so high. Yep. What these folks are coming for is how are you going to curate an experience where I'm going to give of you my valuable time, information, and presence that I know is actually worth something. Um, and that, and I'm going to trust that you're going to custody it well. And I'm not going to be sitting through 15 panels because mm -hmm. if I am, I'm going to walk out the door because I am at the level where I will, I will mute me. And we don't want that. <laughs> so it sounds like this is audience dependent. I've been in a lot of rooms where people are brainstorming about events and they immediately go to who's our headliner, who's the famous person That's, we need to get yeah. up there. What I'm hearing from you is why are we gathering? Who's mm -hmm. going to be there? What am I going to learn? Where is it going to be? Gonna, what kind of experience am I going to have there? A lot of that, which has nothing to do with a famous person up there on the stage necessarily. <laughs> Nope. In fact, speakers are not until our fourth or fifth step in the 10 essentials. The first three, which you outlined very well, we call the triplets, the, the, the sacred triplets. And, that, and they're done in order for a reason. Success metrics, audience mix analysis, content mapping. When those three line up like little Siamese triplets marching along, that event foundation is solid because now you know who, if you want to get to speak, should fit in that, but your value proposition is the value of the content for both the attendees and the, 
and the business and the value of the audience for the attendees and the, and the business. Um, otherwise, you're just, yeah, throwing in famous people. And I think at the level that you and I are, are working at with the type of people, you know, famous people are, are becoming ubiquitous. They're becoming a dime a dozen. And because online has brought a lot of those people into our living rooms and into our phones on YouTube, on uh, webinars, on there, there, it's not as um, novel right. to see uh, one of these, you know, you can name them and I'm sorry, but like Seth Godin, I mean, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, Richard Branson. I mean, literally, I could name all the ones, ooh, ah, I bet most people have seen them either on their podcast, their webcast, their YouTube, or some other channel, that yep. that is not as much of a draw. Interesting. You've mentioned, you said essentials a few times. You're talking about the Caspian 10 essentials. Those are your methodology. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The commandments. Where can people go to find Caspian out more 10 about commandments. that? Yeah, your 10 commandments. <laughs> uh, they, on our website, you can learn more about them. Although we are going to be launching in the beginning of May, very exciting, the online uh, course for the 10 essentials. So folks can sign up and pay for a 10-session course to learn all about the 10. And again, it's, it's a mindset. It's a methodology. It has nothing to do with muffins and centerpieces. Uh, that's not even a part of it. It's all about how you craft, in a sense, a uh, business plan for any event or convening. And if you have a large organization, it's getting buy-in from anyone who touches an event um, as to the process that they will go through so that you can map at the end of the year to your overall objectives, regardless of who is touching or running an event, that they're going to start speaking in 10 essentials parlance so that folks don't go immediately to like, oh, who's our big speaker? It would instead be a conversation around the water cooler of, oh, yeah, we did our success metrics. You know, I think one of our tactics to reach our goals is blah, blah, blah. And man, this audience mix, you should see the wild cards we've added in it. We just got a, a poet, and then there's this electronic cellist who's coming in. I think that'll be fascinating for some of our blah, blah, blah. It's a very different conversation to start to permeate through the organization to take away what you talked about, um, which is, let's talk about speakers, or where should we have it? Maybe we should do it at a, uh, that big building downtown that's cool. Right. <laughs> yep. No. <laughs> and I hear it coming through how it's the the routine of getting a big conference hall and getting a name speaker is not the way to go about this. And that the novelty and surprise is a big part of the experience, but it really has to start with a strategy. Let me yeah. ask you for just another story to get to the area of impact. Um, mm -hmm. Your firm has served as the event management agency for the Skoll World Forum, which is held in Oxford, England, which is quite the interesting setting for any kind of <laughs> event. Um, you've been doing that for more than a decade. Um, mm -hmm. Tell us a story about the Skoll World Forum that uh, gives us an idea about how an event like that actually works to drive change in the world. Absolutely. So, um I think I'll, I'll talk to you about some of the tactics first that, that drive to that. Um, and it has been a fascinating journey to be a part of the Skull World Forum trajectory and event horizon over these. This will be my 14th year because I've been able to watch them try different uh, methods and tactics to get to impact and change. And some work better than others. Some don't. 
Um, but I love the experimental nature of the forum constantly evolving. So one of the things that I think has been excellent, of course, we've always had panels. We've had keynotes in the new theater, which is amazing, a grand, uh, big Broadway-style theater stage. Uh, 1,800 people can fit there. But they also have incorporated things like delegate-led sessions. And I think you see some of really interesting impact in those delegate-led sessions. So delegates can propose a topic that they want to speak on. Uh, they can lead a session. And um, I don't know if I'm at liberty to say the partnerships that have formed um, without their clearance, but there have been true partnerships formed and organizations formed because of these small group meetings. And I will say, again, I can praise Skullworld Forum all day long. It is to the credit of the high-level uh, curation and discipline of curation of that audience that enables those connections to take place in delegate-led or, I'm going to talk about college dinners in a second, um, because if you don't have the right molecules bouncing around, you're not going to form the right atoms. They'll never be able to come together. And so sometimes I think they take heat for it because people are looking in from the outside going, well, how come you can't just rock up and buy a ticket? And you can, actually, in Oxford, to the new theater. There's actually plenty of things you can do as a, as a person of the public. But the sessions at Saeed you know, are limited by capacity. I mean, we can only fit a certain number of people in the building, so there has to be some sort of filtration system. Um, and they have really worked to create a mix, a recipe of people where they're hoping that certain molecules will bounce together and learnings will transfer and take place in the right type of uh, mixes. And that is impressive to hold true to that because there's pressures all the time to bust that up. I mean, we could have an entirely US-UK event. <laughs> it would be very easy. So it's very hard uh, for them to pull that in. And that does create impact. And yet it costs for them to do that. Uh, it costs real money. And it costs real time. Um, and I, I'm just impressed constantly that they, they do that and hold true. And I'm, I'm thankful because I've been able to see that organizations and partnerships and things have taken place that are absolutely changing the world for good um, in girls' education, in water, uh, climate change that would not have occurred if they had not worked hard to get those people there. So mm -hmm. and I can tell you about college dinners too, which is a fun one that some people might say is more frivolous in that sense, but absolutely serves a goal. And that's why people sometimes think, oh, events, what's happening? Why are you, why are you doing that? We do these college dinners. We're in Oxford, for heaven's sakes. So you have to use the location to your benefit. We're human beings, after all. We love to have wonderment. And sometimes getting us to a state of wonderment and awe is where we can have our best ideas, right? Yep. So the college dinners take place in colleges all around Oxford. And it's like Harry Potter dining halls because that's where it was filmed. Yep. And you should see people walk in. I don't care how old they are. I don't care how famous they are. They always <gasps> If they haven't been there before, there's a little bit of a mouth drop open. And I think that also that setting enables conversations to take place, just like that mountaintop at sunset that would not have happened if they were in a boardroom. Right. And setting absolutely matters. Mm -hmm. And you referenced some science there when you talked about wonderment and awe, putting people in a frame of mind. <laughs> uh, that's more open and creative. Um, I was just reading mm -hmm. about some of that science recently which is why we see mm -hmm. events like this happening on mountaintops and in mm -hmm. uh, places like uh, Oxford where um, mm -hmm. 
where you are out of your normal setting. Um, Well, let's wrap up on some science and share a lesson um, that our listeners can put to use in their own work, just of all the things you know about event science. What's one thing you can (laughs) leave the audience with that uh, they could put to use? Oh, well, I think the biggest lesson I could say that usually um, is counterintuitive for a lot of people is the budget comes last. And this is a good um, intellectual game to play with yourself. Um, And so don't think about a budget. When you start thinking about an event, build the best event you can. Don't even think about your resources. What would, if your company could do anything or your organization to build the perfect event that you know would actually move your business forward, build that. Get everyone to suspend belief. And in a sense, you might have to go to a mountaintop to do this with your group (laughs) as you talk about building your event. And just build it. Build the mansion. And that's what I always say is build the mansion. Because if you build the vision of the mansion, now you may find different types of um, ways to get there. And now you've got an exciting vision to build to for this event that could potentially meet all your goals. That's super exciting as an organization to build to. What I find when you start with budget is you build towards a mediocre shack because you know that's how much the budget will afford. So you build the best shack you can, but nobody's really happy with the shack because after all, it's like a little shack and it's got some tires on the roof and you know, I'm from Idaho, I can speak to that. Um, so if you build the mansion idea now, maybe you have to make a smaller mansion this year. But now you can look at this event in stages. Well, if that's our end goal, at least now we have one. We want to run a four-minute mile. Great. Maybe this year we just run an eight-minute mile or a nine-minute mile. And now we're building, now we're building the audience mix we want for that eventual mansion. We're building the content for that eventual mansion. But we're starting here, and we know this is not where we're going to end. So our budget affording this is a small mansion instead of a small shack. So that is the number one tip I would leave because it really gets people out of their day-to-day thinking. And I need people to save the world. So I need people to start thinking about the big old mansion because we got to get there. And the more we build our small mansions, the more big mansions we're going to have to save the world. Um, All climate change appropriate mansions. Well, there you have it from Heather Mason, founder and CEO of the Caspian Agency, which takes a scientific and strategic approach to creating events for interesting and ambitious organizations of all kinds all over the world. Thanks so much for sharing your wisdom with us. You bet. Thank you so much.